Hello and welcome to the podcast, The Other Woman and the Wife, where we discuss why infidelity exists and what we can learn from it. Today, I'm joined by Melanie. Melanie and I go back on TikTok a ways, quite a ways. And she actually came to me through another podcast guest. You guys may remember Sean. Sean had said, you know, Melanie has a very interesting story that I think that you should pay attention to. And I thought that was so interesting coming from a betrayed male who I think had some pretty uh, extreme views, or not even extreme views, just like he has his perspective and he's interested in learning more about what other people have experienced in this so that he can learn more about himself. And then this morning, Melanie, I got a text from somebody. You did? I did. I got a text from somebody who had told me what a safe and helpful place you have been for them to communicate. So firstly, I would like to thank you for being a person who is a safe place for other people to come to and disclose their actual reality. I think that is a privilege for most people to have and for you to provide that for them is amazing. So thank you. It is amazing. And it kind of goes both ways because I have met a lot of people who have been a safe place for me throughout this. And initially I did not have that. That was what was lacking. And it was very isolating and a lonely place to be in, to be honest. I'm really like, I feel very good about hearing you say that because ultimately I thought it was the isolation that took more out of me than the actual experience of what I went through. And so I think when we vocalize what we've gone through, we're able to achieve much more for ourselves. So I'd like to get started by asking you the question, do you have a personal experience with infidelity? I do. And what role did you play? was back two years ago. Oh, two years ago. Well, it started two years ago. Yes, I was the other woman, single other woman. Single, so you were the uncommitted other woman in the story that played out. And uh, as far as you being the other woman, you know, in our previous conversations, one of the perspectives that you have that many people don't share is the perception of the marriage that the other woman has. And one of the things that I felt very important about your story was the perception that you had of your affair partner's marriage. Can you elaborate a little bit on that? So initially, I didn't know that he was married. It wasn't because he didn't tell me. It was just, well, we work together. We're both nurses. I actually had started a Facebook group for all the nurses, like a support group for the job. I was administrator of that. And I was adding other nurses on. And a lot of times when you send an invite, unless you were friends with them, they wouldn't see it. So I was just adding all the nurses. And so I had added him and he accepted. But then, you know, I checked out his page and I didn't see any pictures of a significant other. You know, he was not linked to her page or anything. But I wasn't really thinking much about it at the time because initially I was involved in a relationship with somebody. It was like a toxic relationship that I was trying to get out of. So I really wasn't paying attention to other men specifically. 
But that was kind of, you know, when I found out he was married, it was like, oh, I'm kind of surprised because she doesn't seem very involved. And then, I don't know if you want me to start with, like, how we started our interactions because that might help a little bit. Yeah, you can. Okay. Because of that toxic relationship, I was kind of in a bad, vulnerable spot. Number one, I live in Michigan, and I always get depressed in the winter because it's very gray here. I know I just talked to you before we came on about how I have a light box. It kind of helps a little bit, but trips to Florida help a lot more, to be honest. So I was, it was like the middle of winter, two years ago. That relationship spiraled and ended, not in a good way. Work was very stressful. Nurses are already overworked as it is, and I was putting in a lot of hours. And I was in therapy. I have a great counselor. We're just on maintenance now. But I told her I was really struggling, and she suggested that I do an outpatient day program for, like, group therapy and just take, like, FMLA from work for respite. So I actually went ahead and did that, and I was off for, like, a week and a half. And during that time he was seeing my patients. He actually reached out to me on Messenger and he's like, hey, I noticed that you've been off work. Are you okay? And me being an authentic, transparent individual, which used to not come very natural for me, but because of my years in therapy and becoming more that way, I just opened up and told him, I'm like, no, I am not okay. I have been, I told him everything. And then... He just started checking in with me after that, texting me, telling me about my patients he had seen, and just kind of small talk. And I remember running it by my counselor, I'm like, because I did find out he was married. I don't know, somehow it came up. And I'm like, do you think this is okay? And she goes, I don't see anything wrong with it, so... If you are the other woman in your relationship and you love this podcast, you would love the Other Women Community. The Other Women Community is a membership program designed to help other women just like you reclaim their relationship with themselves and heal from their affair. We provide a safe and supportive environment for you to open up and talk about your experiences. We give you the tools and resources you need to grow into an authentic, empowered individual. If you're ready to take the next step in your healing journey, head on over to theotherwomanandthewife.com backslash community to learn more about the membership and all it has to offer. And, you know, it was innocent at first anyways, but I was trying to carve out a life for myself to get out of the depression and just meeting new people and doing things. And it's really hard living in a small town. And he had mentioned that he was involved in trivia like every week he would go and play trivia and he's like, hey, would you like to come join us? And I'm like, sure, that sounds like fun. So I'm not thinking anything of it. Of it. I went and I noticed, hey, his wife's not here. That's interesting. And then he started opening up to me about the troubles in their marriage and how she didn't like to go anywhere much. And he was lonely and she was always on her phone. And then like few years before that, he had caught her on a date with another guy, and they had went to counseling to try to work out their issues. And it was helpful at first, but then kind of backfired over time. And they kind of regressed to where they were before. But he had decided he couldn't divorce her because he was worried that she was going to take property that he had inherited from his parents. And also, he felt like he was 
threatened to marry her because they had kids before they were married and he felt like he was forced into it like she had threatened to take the kids away from him type of thing and you know some of it you know is he exaggerating it so a lot of people will say that but then I on my own saw behaviors with her that kind of like he wasn't even really bashing her but I saw it with my own two eyes where he would come over and he would message her like he was always trying to be respectful of her even though he was with me and would ask her what time she was going to be home and it would be hours before she would respond and then when you look at her Facebook like everything's public and she has stuff on there about him where she's I guess you call it like passive aggressively attacking him in multiple posts going back like to 2010 where she puts things on there like I'm looking for a really good personal trainer and then she'd say stuff like I'm ready for a divorce and she had a picture of like he had put windshield wipers on her car and she was like saying look at this my husband put these windshield wipers on my car but he left the plastic on who does that and I just know for a man like that's really demeaning and I would comment to him like look at your wife is putting on Facebook he's like I know and it was like also she would always tell her friends, well, he's probably not going to get me anything for Valentine's Day or my birthday. And he said that he just felt like he was forced to buy her gifts, not because he cared, but because she was nagging to her friends, kind of like keep the peace. So I think she's just, I don't know, doesn't know how to communicate her needs. What was it like for you to watch someone that you were falling in love with be degraded in that way? It was very hard and my heart broke for him. And he constantly would tell me that he'd always wished that he had a best friend and it never was like that with him. And he just really longed for that and that he felt like he could open up and tell me anything because I was so transparent with him and it made him want to be the same to me. And he said, I feel like we would have so much better open communication because of the way you are. And I said, I didn't used to be this way. I said, but I've had years of therapy and I've learned how to get in touch with my feelings and be open. And I feel like he was in all of that. And I taught him so much about how to be more open and he just felt safe with me. He did not feel safe with her at all. Why do you think he stayed in the marriage? At one point I pinpointed him on it because he actually said that I was his soulmate and he was planning on leaving her. And I know it was only words, but words matter. He got scared because she got wind of it. And as soon as she got wind of it, he said that he had a fear of change and he was afraid that if we got together that I would leave him and he would be all alone. His fear of the unknown. He left this part out, but he knew she wouldn't leave. And he said he was choosing to remain in a miserable marriage because of that fear. But he always told me that he loved me the entire time. And I can't really say anything too bad about him. I mean, he's human. The only bad thing was holidays, Valentine's Day, you know, vacations. I was alone. Yeah. And what did you do with your time when you were alone in those moments? Well, I think it was helpful that I've had all this therapy. And because I've been in relationships that were very toxic, 
that I was able to do a lot of self-care and be okay with it. What types of things do you do for self-care? I like nature. I like going on walks, listening to music, warm baths, and I've gotten away from it. I need to get back into it, but I practice meditation when I'm stressed and it's very helpful and exercise. That's great. It's not to say that I don't regress though. I want to say that you're never fully healed. And I learned this in counseling. There's not an end point and we can regress because I had been in this place when COVID first hit. It was actually a blessing in disguise. I know for a lot of people, they struggled with depression and all sorts of things like the suicide rates went up. But for me, it forced me to be by myself because I've always thought that I needed to be with a man and I didn't choose wisely. So I would not grieve the last one. I just go on to the next one like it was a Band-Aid fix. And I was actually single for a while during that time. And I had healed quite a bit. However, I was in a vulnerable spot and regressed two years ago when I met my AP. So I did, you know, regress a little bit, but it's like any other habit in life, I guess. So like it's a lifestyle when you're trying to get in shape. Nobody is perfect and we shouldn't have any sort of shame about, you know, we're not failures is what I'm trying to say. We're human beings and we have needs and we have longings and you're not meant to do life alone. I love that. You are not meant to do life alone. Can you elaborate a little bit more on that? Well, so you do ultimately have to know how to be happy within yourself. I don't know if happy is a word, but content, but that does not mean that you are on an island in isolation. There's people there that can support you and talk to you. Safe people, though. You have to be with people that are safe, you know, and if you're married to somebody or your partner, somebody that doesn't have those skills, either they refuse to learn or they just don't have it, you're going to feel so isolated and depressed no matter how much meditation you do or self-help books you read you we need people we do need people yeah so after everything broke down in that relationship with him it's hard and i listened to your podcast yesterday with a gentleman i forget his name marty but he had a marty had a comment on there that really resonated with me i think he said something like how hard it was afterwards grieving and not having anybody to talk to about your situation because it's so taboo and it's hard to find safe people even those who do care about you like one of my best friends her husband had cheated on her and I had talked to her a little bit about it but obviously she was not going to understand it was kind of like oh we'll just move on like you shouldn't be messing with a married man so that was not going to help me in my grieving process so I couldn't really <laughs> she met well though I still love her you know what I'm saying so you have to be I really do. careful Melanie how do you determine whether somebody is safe or not that's been a very tough lesson for me to learn <laughs> That might be part of my problem because, yeah, I'm a rescuer. Um, gosh, I'm still learning that one. But it doesn't necessarily mean they have to be somebody that's been exactly in your situation, but similar enough, somebody that 
is non-judgmental, keeps an open mind and speaks with compassion and love instead of shaming you. Because if you shame somebody, they're actually going to do the direct opposite of what you say. When somebody's judging you, you're just going to feel less than and really small and it's just going to backfire. So you just have to be careful. Yeah, I agree. I think that many times we think that our personal network is the only network that we can lean into. And I think once we start to recognize that our fellow humans that we were not born into a family with are people who are willing and capable of helping a certain situation, we can allow ourselves to open up in that way. And it does provide us with a sense of clarity. So yeah, being able to hone in on your ability to discern who is safe for you to divulge to and who isn't is super important. Yes. And at first, to be honest, I didn't feel like I deserved that because even from safe people, because of the stigma, because it's like, well, you got yourself into this mess. He was married. This is your karma. So it's like I had these strong feelings of sadness and I felt like I couldn't even take ownership for the fact that I felt that way because I felt like I was, it was, I deserved it. I deserved to feel that way because I messed with a married man. And nobody should feel that way. Not at all. I think that when we start to resign ourselves to a state of deserving, we put ourselves into a like a pit, really, and cover ourselves with unnecessary negativity. One of the things that I really like to focus on whenever somebody is being vulnerable in front of me, I do my best not to provide unhelpful commentary so like your friend saying, well, that's what you get. Like that doesn't actually promote any type of growth. It hits you right here. Boy. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Like what? I deserved having feelings for a man that was committed to somebody else. Can we flip this side of the coin over and really take a look at it and figure out what is helpful to us as far as conversations that we are having and the communication that we foster in real life. Melanie, can you tell me a little bit about what it was like for you after the affair? The initial, it was like a death. It was, I remember thinking I am never going to get over this. Like I cried and cried for several months, but I needed that. I needed to grieve. Where in the past, I would just jump to another relationship and not deal with it. And I think I was also grieving for the one before him, too. So it was intensified even more. But then also, on the other hand, I was thankful for the experience, to be honest, because it created growth within me. And my counselor even said to me in the middle of it, like I said, she's an awesome counselor because she's non judgmental. And she doesn't tell me what to do. She lets me figure it out on my own. But she said, I am glad that you finally were in a relationship with somebody that showed you how a man really should treat a woman because I had men with men that were physically and verbally abusive in the past. So she said, I'm glad you get to see how a man is supposed to treat a woman. How did he treat you differently? He was always thinking of my feelings and allowing me to vent about my day. 
and also acts of service. He would come over and he would make me lunch. He would clean my house. He treated me like I was his wife. We went grocery shopping together. He actually went with me to my son's baseball game and just sat there with me. I mean, he like risked being in public with me. And then he volunteered to go with me. I was having some health issues and I had to go to the University of Michigan and he volunteered to go with me because he really was caring about how my health was. He even had the code to my house to get in. Let's put it that way. <laughs> it sounds like he was really interested in your well-being. Yeah. He always said, I think would be so much better with you, but I just, I'm was scared to leave her. All I can say is that's what he said. He was scared. It, it doesn't sound like he was it almost sounds like he was scared of her. She can be pretty scary, but that was just my observation. How do you think his marriage may have contributed to him pursuing the affair? He was in a vulnerable spot because he wasn't getting his needs met. And every time he had tried to talk to her about it, and I don't know if it was his technique because he really did. He felt safe with me and was open and transparent. So I don't know if he was acting different with her, but she didn't feel safe to him. And he would, he said that she would give no words of encouragement when he even tried to open up. And there was a situation he was involved in. He was involved in some legal battles because he had worked in a jail and inmates sue a lot. And that was still going on when he was working with us. And I remember the day when he had to go to court and he was kind of scared. He told me that. And then afterwards he said, I was so glad that I had you to talk to. He said, because when I tried to talk to her about it, I got no words of encouragement. He goes, even when I try to open up, she just can't even, she doesn't know how to relate or to comfort me. She's probably dealing with a world of pain. I don't want to bash her at all. I don't know. I'm trying to give her the benefit of the doubt, but. From what I see in him, I know women can get that way. And men, if they've been hurt enough and then they just start lashing out. But it makes no sense because even still, why are you posting all this stuff publicly online? It just doesn't seem, I don't know, like she wants everybody else to see it. I don't know. See his shortcomings? Yeah. Huh. It stopped, though, recently. I would say in recently, like the last six or seven months because... I'm not proud of like all the ways I behaved afterwards. I did my best, but I did look at her social media. I guess I don't know why I'm sitting here trying to say I shouldn't have because that's probably how people react <laughs> when afterwards, but it was more like I was trying to protect him. And I saw she was having all these posts still bashing him. Like, it's really subtle, but you see it, you know what I mean, type of thing. I could give you more examples, but I finally made, <laughs> and I'm not into drama. I made a public post. I didn't call her out, I, her name specifically, but I just said, I hate it when I see people bashing, you know, their significant others on social media. I said, that's very demeaning. And I said, and I just, I'm not afraid to call people out on it. And so then she's turned on me after that. So I'm like, it's fine. She can bash me or say whatever she wants because it was wrong what I did. So it's on, was you it know, though? I'd rather talk bad about me. Was it? I mean. It was wrong, but it wasn't like I did it on purpose. Yeah, I struggle to label 
an affair is always something. I think that when we go into blanket statements of an affair is always wrong, and then I hear you tell me a story about how your affair partner saved your life, which is a byproduct of the relationship that you guys facilitated. I have a very difficult time when people want to say that it is always wrong because I don't think that there is always. It's not premeditated. I mean, it wasn't, I'm not like I set out to do it. Right. And I think that's also an interesting thing that we can talk about the premeditation. Like I, I recently did a post where we discussed the differences in the affair types. There's, you know, one night stand, there's the actual emotional relationship that exists. There is just the recreational cheating. And I think that a lot of the stories that I want to highlight on the podcast are the ones where there wasn't a equation that people were following. It wasn't a, oh, I need a relationship, therefore I'm going to open myself up to this person. But really, I think it's interesting how two people can be so perfectly positioned to cross paths in life and offer a safe place to one another, regardless of what contracts predate that present moment. True. I mean, I was vulnerable and alcohol did play a role because in that trivia event, like I'm a lightweight and I had wine and I knew I couldn't drive so he's like well let's walk around town and i'm sure it did play a role then we kissed under a gazebo it was me and i've never done anything like this before i'm the one that's usually cheated on but the stars aligned so <laughs> they yeah certainly did didn't they yeah this next question I have for you is, what do you think are some things people don't understand about the perspective of the person in the marriage that chose infidelity? Well, obviously, I'm going to have to try to get inside his head because that wasn't me, right? But right. But best I can come up with is just the fact that they're seeking something that they are not getting in the marriage and it's a safe connection and they're able to be authentic with that other person. I mean, if it's not like the one night stand, like the type of affair I had. Yeah. He was able to be himself and I would like to think that I, I set him away a better man knowing he could know that his worth and his value was not dependent on his wife's opinion of him that he actually is a good man not perfect but a good man with value because i don't think he saw that i don't think he knew that do you think that he started to believe the opinions of his wife about himself because when it came out that's bashing himself he's like i need help and he's talking about how he wasn't a good person and all that can you tell me a little bit about how your understanding has progressed and evolved of the authenticity and what it means to you? Well, I think it was already starting before that, but I think this is the first time I've been in a relationship where the other person was authentic with me and there's no comparison. Like, 
this is the way it's supposed to be in a relationship. Wow. Like I actually do deserve that. I deserve that type of connection. Of being yourself while also appreciating the other person as themselves. Yeah. That's what intimacy is. True intimacy. And we're not talking about sexual intimacy. What is intimacy? Intimacy. Well, if you break it down, it's into, into me, you see. It's just being able to like lay yourself bare in front of somebody. Here I am, but your flaws and all, and they just accept you, the good and the bad, all your imperfections. That's what it is. And you can be safe to be yourself. They're not going to judge you. I'm so glad you <laughs> used the line into me, see, because it, whenever people, you know, you're right, the superficial explanation of intimacy, people just bleed it into sex. And I'm like, no, intimacy is actually being able to see a person for who they are at their core. And that doesn't mean idealizing them. People think affairs are about sex. And, you know, maybe it is for some people, but I don't think it has anything to do. So I think that some people do utilize infidelity to gratify superficial sexual wants and needs that they are afraid to communicate. But even, you know, me making that statement it ultimately comes down to fear, right? It comes down to the fear of communication, being seen for who you truly are, allowing your own insecurities to be visible to somebody else and allowing them to speak truth to those insecurities so that you can begin to make peace with them. I think that a lot of humanity's destruction, I'll say, is because we often take the opinions of other people and make them our own truth. And so whenever I think about our affairs about sex, I tr truly, you could not convince me to have sex with just anybody. I couldn't even convince myself to have sex with just anybody. So the idea that the affair was because of sex was just so odd to me because that wasn't at all my experience. My experience was I was definitely pulled emotionally towards another person and it pulled so much so that I was willing to reveal parts of myself that I wasn't even ready to look at myself. And I think that was like the profound impact of uh, the affair that I had was this visibility into this person that I could be. So yeah, I don't think that every affair is about sex by any means. I do think that for many people who are in affairs, sex is actually the byproduct of the emotional neglect that exists within the individual. And it really, it helps when we have somebody else reveal that to us. So yeah, I don't, I do not think that I would actually venture to say most affairs are not about sex. Because if it was, you could just go pay a prostitute or something. I, I mean, you know what I'm saying? Like, yes, I don't know. There's an easier way to gratify that than convincing somebody else to fall in love with you or something like it, that rationale doesn't totally make sense to me. I understand how some people would want to cling to that rationale because it's very scary to think that you are capable 
of doing what you have done. And if you want to sugarcoat it with the sentiment that, oh, it was just sex, then I don't think you're actually trying to understand yourself and evaluate why you make the choices that you make. But what do you think? Do you think affairs are about sex? No. Well, not mine. The people I'm talking to, there may be some that might just be about sex, but I don't know. No, I think there's more to it. I think there's more to it, too. They think it's about sex, but then maybe they're trading that intimacy for sex. You know what I mean? It's it's a cheap substitute for it. Oh, please go on. Well, they're probably not even self-aware enough to know it. Some of them. Not the ones I'm talking to right now, I should say, but people like in my past that I know that I'm thinking that it might fit. They probably just lack the self-awareness. A lot of people don't take the time to work on themselves. They don't even know why they're doing what they're doing. I would say maybe the majority of people. That's a lot of work. It's easier just to stick a Band-Aid on it. Keep going. I used to be that way, too. When I first started therapy, I didn't know it all boils down to your thoughts and your beliefs inside. And my counselor would ask me what I was feeling, and I couldn't even pinpoint it. And I, it took forever, and I would always wrap it around a story. She's like, but what are you feeling? And I'm like, well, he's doing this, and he, he's doing this to me. And she's like, but how does that make you feel? Like it was a distraction from the pain of not wanting to feel. She's like, I don't care what he's doing to you. How does that make you feel? And it was months on end, and then finally I just broke down crying in a therapy session. And I'm like, it makes me feel really sad because I didn't want to feel that sadness. And as soon as I started crying, there was like a release. It was painful, but it was very relieving to me. But we, a lot of times, I don't know if it's an older generation, like when I was a child, my parents did not, they were good parents, but they were emotionally disengaged. I wasn't brought up to recognize emotions. You know, like even to this day, my parents are good and they're in their late seventies, but like, when I tell my mom something sad that's happened to me, it's like, I guess she wants to rescue me and she'll just start. She'll say, oh, it's going to be okay. Or, hey, did you hear what happened to Greg, my brother? Changing the subject because she doesn't want to hear it. And then because I've had enough therapy, I'm like, no, mom, this makes me sad. She doesn't want to hear that. You know, when your little kid cries and you're like, stop crying. You, you just want them to stop crying. And instead of saying, how do you, how does that make you feel? Like that doesn't seem natural, does it, to say to your child, like, why are you crying? What's wrong? We just want them to stop crying because as a parent, we want to rescue them. But sometimes, you know, it's better to just sit with them in their pain and help them to process it instead of trying to brush it under the rug. We think we're doing it out of love, but really that's not the proper way. <laughs> I think we're doing it out of love of ego, right? It's really interesting that you touch on the parenting thing. I'll never forget when I heard one of my children cry and I thought my mission was to stop the crying. But really what I was honing in on was her crying made me uncomfortable because I didn't like the way that I felt inside of my body when she cried. Yes. We're all guilty of it. Yeah, telling her to stop crying was not an effective solution to what was going on inside of her world. I needed to understand why she had those emotions and 
how I could best support her through them because I will not be with my daughter her entire life. And I want her to understand that her emotions will be carried with her throughout her entire life. And I want to impart on her how to discern her own emotions and thoughts. So yeah, I think generationally, we are definitely taking a different approach towards parenting. And boy, oh boy, is it difficult. And when your parent tells you to stop crying, then you think you're bad because you're like, oh my gosh, you like have shame. Like, I guess I'm not supposed to be crying because you look to your parents like they're God. And then it's, oh, mommy's upset when I cry. So I guess I'm not supposed to cry. And it seems so innocent and they're doing it out of love. It's the way they were raised too. So we got to change the narrative or the way we go about it. I think it's also the way that we lead ourselves. Like one of the things that I'm really coming to terms with is I can talk until my lungs run out, right? But the actual change is being able to demonstrate to my children what the pursuit of happiness and fulfillment looks like and making that one of my top responsibilities so that they too can pursue that for themselves and invalidating their emotions with don't cry, you're not supposed to feel that way. All of those actually shut down the individual who is responsible for understanding their emotions. So it's almost like this cyclical effect that occurs and nobody's aware of it. Like they think that the cycle is in decisions and actually it's the cycle is in the lack of awareness of why we make the decisions we make. You were really on one there, Melanie. Sometimes I got it. Can you talk a little bit more about your relationship with your parents and how you have been able to appreciate, respect, and accept them for who they are, regardless of the tools that they had available to them during your childhood? It was a process. Let's put it that way. Another thing you don't know about me is my dad is a pastor. <laughs> it's been at the same church for 45 years. I'm 49. And I was homeschooled before anybody was homeschooled. <laughs> My brothers, I'm like the only daughter and the youngest of the baby. And in addition to being a pastor, my parents both have master's degrees in education. So they would work outside the home and they taught adult community education programs for people to get GEDs. So they left me and my brothers home with a babysitter from second grade through ninth grade. So there was a little bit of emotional neglect there. I know they met well, but they thought the public schools were not good enough. I still don't know why. And they pulled us out and they taught us at home. So I was socially isolated. And then I, once I got to high school, I begged and begged. I wanted to go back to school. And it was obviously a culture shock because it was not like homeschooling is now back then. We're very isolated. And so I didn't fit in. I went into public school in 10th grade. And my way of coping was going up with the bad guys. <laughs> I ended up getting pregnant when I graduated from high school before I left for college by one of the bad boys. I found out when I was at college and I dropped out without telling my parents. So they didn't even know I was dating this guy. And um, I was going to just do it on my own. So I like, I had saved up like $10,000 and I got like a hotel room and I had worked as a home health aide back then. I'm like, I'm just going to do this. I'm not even going to tell my parents. I'm not even going to know where I am. 
that didn't work for more than two days. And I was confiding in an older lady that I worked with. And she's like, well, you really need to tell your parents that you're pregnant. So she like brought me over with all my stuff because I had dropped out of school without telling them, by the way, to my parents' house, my house. And I had to tell them that was really hard. And my dad got up and cried. My mom hugged me. But then like a day or two later after that, my dad said to me, you need to get up in front of the church and confess your sins. Otherwise, it means you're not a Christian. And I was seven weeks pregnant and not too many people knew. Yes, it was very traumatic. And so I told him I would do it if he wouldn't tell them what my sin was. He told me, okay, I won't. And But he lied to me because he got up there and he said, I got some horrible news. Melanie came home from college and told me and Beverly, my mom, that she's pregnant, seven weeks pregnant. Why doesn't everybody come? Oh, actually, he made me go tell them I was sorry first. So I confessed my sins. And then everybody came up around to give me a hug. And it was the most traumatic experience of my life. And I felt like I was wearing the scarlet letter. It was awful. And I had to deal with that for years in therapy later on. But I had some EMDR and stuff. And I finally just dealt with it and got to the point where I could look my dad in the eyes again. And I finally tell him that I love him. And he has actually apologized for doing that. But he was obviously just thinking of himself, like, and his job as a pastor. Because I was living with him during the summer. I got pregnant before I went to college. So I think he was afraid that he was going to lose his his job as a pastor. That's all I can think of. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> I don't let that... I don't love that. I don't love that. It feels like public shaming. <laughs> it was. Plus, what does my sin have to do with them? That would be my sin against God, wouldn't it? I'm not like a person of authority. I wasn't the pastor. I was the pastor's daughter, but I'm not up there preaching. And what if I had, you know, like been on birth control and didn't get pregnant or had an abort? Nobody would know but the fact that everybody can see I'm pregnant. I mean, it just seems like a double standard. You know, I think that, like, parents feel this need to make an example of their children, and I, like, I just absolutely hate it. So I know what it means to feel shame to somebody shaming you for something that you did wrong. Like, it's been a repeating theme, judging me for what I've done. Yeah, that is awful. We all fall short. We all sin. And I still have a strong faith in God, but. I just like, I think the people that judge are just as big of a center as the others. The ones pointing the fingers. You have no idea what they're doing. Nope. Judging no the sin. Yeah. It sure Take is. Take the log out of your own eye first. <laughs> <laughs> but it took me a long time to realize that. I was the yeah. black sheep. <laughs> I know. I know what it's like to be a black sheep. Lone Ranger over here. Your behavior has consequences and, you know, people think that like the consequence of infidelity is this negative existence afterwards. And I'm like, that's, that's not it at all. Like the consequence of infidelity is actually knowing that you are capable of making decisions or you are capable of neglecting yourself to the point where you do things that you wouldn't do normally. Right. It's self-neglect. Yeah, it is. It's self-neglect manifested in its 
in one of the ways. There are multiple ways that self-neglect can manifest itself. And I think that infidelity is one of the many ways that self-neglect can manifest itself. Melanie, before we close up, I would love to hear your thoughts on just anything that you would like to tell the young woman that you were beyond two years ago, the young girl who is struggling with an identity outside of relationships, the one who has a difficult time understanding her own wants and needs, or even if you could go up to yourself inside of your therapist's office when your therapist was telling me, okay, like you told me a story, how does that make you feel? What would you say to that girl? Would tell her that she's worth it and that her feelings are important and that they matter. And kind of like in this situation after the affair ended and you know, people like to say, throw around the word limerence. We all love. And truth be told, I mean, we can't possibly know. I want to say that he did love me. And I don't know how he feels now, but it does not really matter in the end because what matters is how I felt. And somebody can try to get in and say, oh, you didn't feel that. That's so invalidating to say you didn't love him. That was limerence. How can you possibly know what somebody else feels? <laughs> you can't. You are the only one with access to your thoughts and feelings. My feelings matter. And I, if you feel a certain way, why are you going to tell somebody what they feel? And that little girl within me and all these other women that have the little girl also trapped inside of them need to know that they really matter. And they're important. And that there's no shame in feeling whatever you feel. You have a right to feel whatever you feel, and that's okay, no matter how uncomfortable it is. It's more uncomfortable to hide it. And the reason it's so uncomfortable is because you thought you couldn't feel it for so long that there's so many feelings that are that are dark trapped inside of you that are just wanting to come out, and it's like you're vomiting it all out at once. It's going to be painful. Whereas if you were experiencing it all the time and releasing it, it wouldn't have been as bad. So I'm really sorry for those women that haven't been taught that. But there's also hope. And I wish I knew somebody that could have been a role model to me to tell me that. Because I actually went into it with blind faith. Like my counselor would tell me, this is going to get better. This is going to get better. But I didn't believe her for so long because there was so much trapped trauma within me that it just, at first it hurts worse. And you got to go through it. You have to get through that tunnel to the other side. And that's what's so hard. And I'm really sorry that people have to go through that. But the only way out is through. The only way out is through. I absolutely love that. And that is how we will conclude this episode of the podcast. Melanie, thank you so much for your bravery, your vulnerability, your authenticity, I think that everything that you have shared here will inspire the young woman that you once were. And I am so grateful that young woman came to be. And she is here sitting with me today to talk about these very difficult topics. But I absolutely adore your strength, your resilience, your perseverance, all of those things. Thank you for being here.
Well, thank you. It was You're so my welcome. pleasure. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen to this podcast episode. We appreciate your support and would love to hear your thoughts on it. If you've made it this far, you're likely someone who is invested in the journey of being the other woman. We understand that this can be a difficult and complex experience, which is why we offer guided coaching to help you heal and move forward. We encourage you to explore the links in the episode description or visit theotherwomanandthewife.com slash coaching to learn more about our exclusive coaching program and apply today. Thank you again for your support, and we look forward to seeing you in the next episode.